This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, church. So good to be with you. So good to celebrate our King with you today. Uh, Happy Fourth of July. Uh, Pray that as you as you leave from here, you get to recognize what a great opportunity uh, it is to just be the family of God as we gather together here and as we're sent from here to host or to attend. uh, What an opportunity it is to get to just be the family of God together with family and friends. And, And I'm grateful for that and grateful to be with you this morning. I'd like to begin with a story uh, about a man named William Cooper. That's okay. Good. Okay. I think we're good. Hope you're good with that. Anyways, um, William Cooper was a famous hymn writer from the 1700s. Uh, Cooper was born in 1731, and at the age of six, um, great affliction and despair began in his life. He lost his mother at the age of six after he had already lost three of his siblings and his mother passes away um, while she's giving birth to her fifth child. From here, Cooper is sent off to boarding school where he is treated badly and ostracized by his colleagues. And eventually he's able to leave this boarding school where he goes to a different school where he actually had a positive experience where he fell in love with literature and poetry. And when Cooper was 18, he left this school and became a lawyer's apprentice, spending the next decade training to become a lawyer. However, this was not Cooper's idea. This was something that his father desired for him. Cooper never had the heart for public service or the public life to be a lawyer or definitely not a politician. When he was 32 years old, as soon as he was about to be examined to practice law in the midst of battling severe depression, he had a mental breakdown In this time, Cooper attempted to take his own life three times, and this would not be the last three times of his life. From here, he was placed into a mental asylum. When he was admitted to the asylum, he was placed under the care of a Dr. Nathaniel Cotton. Dr. Cotton was a faithful lover of Jesus and the message of the gospel, which he faithfully shared with with Cooper time after time, uh, but to no prevail. Um, Cooper was ridden with guilt and shame from his suicide attempts, and it was often hard to soften his heart. One day, Cooper finds a Bible laying on a bench, which is said in his biography was apparently not put there accidentally, that Dr. Cotton may have had something to do with this. And he he begins to read the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead, which he said showed him the mercy of the Savior. From here, this leads him to the book of Romans, and especially to chapter 3, verse 25, where he reads, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. When Cooper read this verse, he says that he was immediately converted. Cooper says that the full beams of the sun of righteousness shone upon me, and I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made. My pardon sealed in his blood and all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In a moment, I believed and received the gospel. 
unless the mighty arm had been under me, I think that I should have died with gratitude and joy. How beautiful is that? Eventually, Cooper was able to regain his mental health and leave the asylum where he moves to the town of Olney in the United Kingdom, where no one other than John Newton becomes his pastor. John Newton, of course, is also a famous hymn writer and pastor uh, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Some of y'all may have heard that before. Newton recognized Cooper's gift as a poet and encouraged him to write hymns in which they did together quite often writing a hymn book of over 200 hymns for their congregation. He met with him almost daily for devotional time and often just took walks with him. Newton was was very good at at meeting him where he was at and, and sitting with him in the midst of his depression. Cooper and Newton, who both shared the testimony of the loss of their mothers at a young age, became very close friends. Cooper says of Newton in his biography that no sincere or more affectionate friend has a man ever had. However, Cooper's story of suffering has not yet reached its end uh, during this time of service to the church, his brother passes away. At first, Cooper was able to take this news well, but then he was not able to cope with his brother's passing and falls back into a deep depression. During this time included another numerous suicide attempts, where one of them, it is said that Cooper was believed to be under the conviction of a command from God. This is the lies that he was believing during this time. During the 16th month, long period of affliction, Cooper lived with and was watched over by John Newton. And by God's grace, he was able to recover again. And it was during this time where Cooper wrote some of his most beautiful hymns. And eventually, John Newton moves away, yet he still stays in close contact with Cooper through numerous letters. Many of these included Cooper just pouring his heart out in agony to John Newton. Yet it was not long before Cooper again suffered from great depression and eventually passes away in the year 1800 where it said that he died in a deep despair. Some of Cooper's most popular hymns include some of great human frailty. Uh, One is, Hark My Soul, It Is the Lord, where in verse 6 he says, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint. Yet I love thee and adore, oh, for grace to love thee more. Or God moves in a mysterious way where he says, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. He also had some hymns of, of great mercy and faithfulness. In one called Sometimes a Light Surprises, I think this would be a great kid song for all the kids singers in here. Sometimes a light surprises the child of God who sings, the light of one who rises with gentle healing wings. With gentle, when comfort are, comforts are declining, God grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. In holy contemplation, with joy we shall pursue the theme of God's salvation and find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, let the unknown tomorrow bring with it what it may. 
And the last one is the spirit breathes upon the word where he says in one verse, the soul rejoices to pursue the steps of him I love till glory break upon my view in brighter worlds above. Cooper was a man who suffered greatly in affliction and wasn't completely delivered from it during his time on earth. But even more so, Cooper trusted that God would deliver him in glory and that in the midst of his most daunting weaknesses, that God would be his strength and that when suffering came again and again, that God would keep him again and again, that he would not let him go. Maybe you have a story like this. Maybe it doesn't involve multiple suicide attempts or maybe it does. Maybe there's at least been a thought. Regardless of the severity of your suffering, there's been a time in your life when you've realized that you're weak and that you need a strength that you can't provide on your own for not even the smallest portion of your life. You need the ultimate strength from a God that will deliver your entire life from affliction. So we're going to talk about that God today. And as we really lean into this text, my hope is for you to see three things Uh, One is that God prepares us for affliction. Two, that God delivers us from all our affliction. And three, that God keeps us despite our affliction. Would you just pray with me as we ask the Lord for help with this text today? Oh, Father, we need you. We need you. We can do absolutely nothing without you. We are totally hopeless. God, I pray that you would Be so strong in the midst of our weakness that your power is made perfect in our weakness, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would not let my words be my own. I pray that people would not be swayed by good speech, but that it would be your spirit that speaks. So preach a second sermon to the hearts of those in this room. We need you, Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Jesus' name, amen. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So I'm not sure if you all would agree with me or yet on this, but the past couple weeks during our Sunday gatherings here at Com City haven't necessarily been easy. Uh, There's been some things that are a little hard to swallow from time to time. I've, I've reminded it to me of taking a big spoonful of apple cider vinegar. It's really good for you. Lowers your cholesterol. Maybe lowers your blood pressure, it helps with some heartburn, but man, it doesn't taste very good. I was talking to Butch earlier about this week, and he was like, I actually like apple cider vinegar, and I was like, of course, he would be the one that likes apple cider vinegar, whatever. Two weeks ago on Father's Day, Andrew invited all of our men to get on their knees and to ask the Lord for help, to pray with their families in a moment of repentance and confession and to rely on the Lord. Then last week, we got to hear some stories from our family, and some of these stories don't have a happy ending yet. There isn't a conclusion to the story. There isn't a, there isn't a, a, a time where they've said, okay, everything's worked out. And I wish that I could say that the beginning of our passage today was going to be different, but it is not. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, which many have said is the climax of this passage. 
David says that the righteous will not just experience little or one period of affliction, but that there will be many. That they won't just go through something one time and then they will be able to step out of it and say, okay, everything is good. It's when we come across little sections like this in God's word where the Christian life being the idea of just full of prosperity makes less and less sense to me. That's just not what I see when I read passages like John 16, 33, where Jesus is saying to his followers, in the world you will have tribulation. Or, or in Acts 14, when the apostle Paul is stoned, he's dragged out of the city and then gets back up and goes into the same city that he was just stoned in to encourage the disciples with verse 22, which says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And the Apostle Paul, again, to the church of Thessalonians in chapter 3, where he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. We're telling you beforehand this was going to happen. So not only is, is affliction or pain or suffering to come in abundance, but it's to be expected. This is why false teaching on the prosperity gospel, honestly, folks, is just ridiculous. That, that there is no way for us to look at God's word fully and come to the conclusion that the Christian life is all and full of happiness and comfort. Because it's not. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will be persecuted. God's people will suffer. We get to trust that we have a God that prepares us for this. Doesn't prevent it but prepares us for it. This is actually one of the reasons why I love our church body so much. Whether, whether it's in our prayer group message or it's a testimony that's been shared on stage or just like some testimonies on video last week. Or, or maybe it's within a family group that are in homes just scattered across this city. There is a yearning amongst us to let each other into our messes. Even just this past week at our family group, Matt Martin is sharing of a story of a friend in ministry that's passed away. And there's just such a vulnerability about that. You guys are well aware and you know that it's okay to not be okay. I'm grateful for that. That it's okay to not be okay. That times of affliction are real. But, but the ultimate reasons that we get to encourage such vulnerability about our afflictions is one, is because God is actually the most strong in the midst of our weakness. That, that 2 Corinthians 12 is true where he says his power is made perfect in weakness. That, that not only do we not lean on prosperity or do we listen to teaching that would say so, but that actually in the midst of our weakness, we get to have the most confidence that God will be strength. He will have the most strength for us. And secondly is because we trust that the Lord is preparing us for deliverance. And, and where this may be true of the righteous, then not only do we have an expectation of suffering, but also an expectation of deliverance. This is not the same for the wicked. Verse 21 puts it very plainly. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Those who do not know God and do not confess him 
as Lord will face affliction, they will face suffering, there will be pain, but the end of their story will be much different than the end of the story for the righteous. When, when the story of the righteous ends with deliverance into the presence of a heavenly father, the story of the, of the wicked ends exactly where it started, in affliction. And actually, it only gets worse. God, God's word is very clear about this. In, in Psalm 94, verse 23, he says, He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Psalm 7, 14 through 16, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. God makes it very clear that it is impossible to fight your affliction by your own strength. It'd be like if you're drinking from the ocean and expecting it to quench your thirst. Just not going to do a thing. Your own actions and, and trying to protect yourself from more despair and suffering is just digging a deeper hole. It really is sin that results in affliction and pain and suffering from beginning to end that will be the ultimate killer of the wicked. I know this isn't easy, but this is reality. So we need someone to die for that sin. And if you're in this room and you feel like that this may be you or you know people in your life that are in this and you feel like that you are staring affliction in the face with no way out, guys, please hear me say this. There was only one man who suffered the most affliction. There was only one man who suffered the most pain and the most suffering and his name was Jesus. There was only one man that died the death that we deserve so that we would not bear the consequence of our own sin, and his name was Jesus. There was only one man that did not let his affliction kill him forever, but was able to step in our place, was able to raise from the dead so that his people may follow in his footsteps into the glorious presence of the Father. Guys, it's Jesus. The most affliction was on the most righteous one. Jesus. Don't let your affliction slay you unto death. If you're there right now, don't let it slay you to death. Trust in Jesus. He wants to deliver you. To the believers in the room, don't fail to believe this verse. Don't fail to believe that this is true. In, in family group on Monday, Eli asked us the question, what do you feel if you fail to believe this passage? Which I think is a great question. And a question that we should ask ourselves repeatedly as we read God's word. Like, what do I actually need to prevent myself from feeling in moments of unbelief? And there were a lot of answers. But one thing is for sure is that if we fail to believe verse 21, we will lack a godly compassion or a godly burden for the lost. That, that there will be times where we look at this verse and we want to soften it down a little bit and be like, oh no, God doesn't really do that. That's not, that's not the kind of God he is. Folks, this is true. And, and if we are, are saved in this room, we are entrusted with a message that has the power to save. And if we're entrusted with this message, folks, we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. 
for people need it. In every corner of this world, people need it. There are places in this world that have never even heard the name Jesus. They need it. The hope that we have is much too valuable. It's much too valuable. Secondly, that God delivers us from all our affliction. Verse 19, for many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This psalm is full of the sense of God's universal deliverance of the righteous. That, that even as we just look back through this text and rejoice, this is the, the, the pleasures of getting to go last in this psalm. You kind of get to go back through all of it. But verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Verse 4, delivered me from all of my fears. Verse 5, that those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles, verse 6. Verse 10, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Verse 17, the Lord hears and delivers him out of all their troubles. Don't you get this sense of this universal deliverance, that all these alls and nuns, that God is very clear about this. It's beautiful. It's beautiful that the Lord would have David be so repetitive in this as he writes. So, so why doesn't this change our perspective on affliction? And, and I'm including myself in this. Why doesn't this change our, our, our perspective on affliction? When Eli asked that question about failing to believe these, these verses, my mind immediately went to our condemnation. That, that in the midst of affliction, in the midst of times of great unbelief, that if we fail to believe that God truly does deliver the righteous, then we're in jeopardy of believing that God actually may condemn his people. Guys, this is dangerous. This is when we have to shift our thoughts back to a proclamation of the gospel over ourselves. I heard a pastor say it this way, that there is no condemnation left for us. There's no condemnation left for the righteous. Not, not only will you not be condemned, like it says in verse 22, not only will you not be condemned, but every ounce of condemnation was placed on Jesus on the cross. That the entire cup of God's wrath was poured out on him for us so that we may be delivered from all our affliction. All of it. Romans 8.1. It's still... It still rings so true that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have to speak this truth to ourselves. And as God delivers his people from this affliction, he also keeps them. And that's our, our third point today, that God keeps us despite affliction. Verse 20 he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. And, and this scripture is, of course, later fulfilled in John 19, where we see, if, if, if you're not familiar with the entire story, uh, Jesus is being crucified, and there were actually two other people next to him. And, and, and the Jewish people come to, to Pilate, uh, to the Roman governor, and they say, hey, we would really like for them not to be up on the cross, on the crosses on, on our Sabbath day. So it's the day of preparation. Like we'd like to prepare for them to come down. In per Roman tradition, they needed to have their legs broken so that when they came down off the cross that there wouldn't be 
any desire to escape, basically. So they go and they break the legs of the first man, they break the legs of the second man, but then they look to Jesus and they see that he's already dead. So they don't break his legs. In spite of not breaking his legs, they pierce him in the side with a spear. And then this, this later goes into um, John 19, 36, which says, for, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then John quotes Psalm 34, 20, not one of his bones will be broken. Well, this is amazing. This is also helpful to recognize that, that as David writes Psalm 34 in the midst of his own affliction, he is also including himself in this category of the righteous, that he's actually talking about his own bones, that this pronoun here in verse 20, he's talking about himself, that the Lord would deliver him from everything, that, that he keeps all of David's bones. Not just as, as God keeps all of David's bones, but he also keeps Jesus's and, and will continue to keep ours. So that there are a couple of implications from this idea that God keeps us despite our affliction. Uh, one of them is, is God says that there will be fruit that there will be fruit in us. As God keeps us, he will continue to use us as well. In John 15, in verse four, he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For those who abide in Christ, for those who take refuge in him, not only will they not be condemned, but the Lord will produce fruit. And with fruit comes great movement. Not only will God keep you, but he will use you for the purposes of his glory and for his kingdom. And, and this may be different than what a lot of us think. This may not be exactly what it looks like. There, there will be trials, there will be difficulty, but in the midst of affliction, guys, God doesn't cancel us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't for some reason disqualify us because we're weak or because we're going through something hard or that there may be a season of, of certain unbelief about something in God's word where he wants us to understand that truth. He doesn't cancel us, he doesn't disqualify us. He will not start keeping us when we're weak. And second, and this is good news, is that while God keeps us, we get to trust that ultimately God says that he will make everything new. That, that Revelation 21 is true where he says he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Praise God that he not only keeps all of Jesus' bones, but that he heals all his wounds. That, that, that the lashes on his back are healed. That, that the crown of thorns on his head is no longer, that the piercing of his side is completely restored. Praise God that, that the righteous will follow Jesus in this, that we're promised this, that God is making all things new, that we are living in this already saved but not yet glorified 
concept here on earth. What a glorious truth that is. That not only he keeps us despite affliction, he's making all things new into a place where there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and definitely no more affliction. Oh, how we gloriously await that day. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And this is just where we're going to end today. We talked about William Cooper. William Cooper was a man that bared this verse well. And, and where death fought hard to discourage him in the death of his siblings and his mother, God prepared him. Where, where guilt and bitterness from multiple suicide attempts fought hard to control him, God delivered him. And where depression fought hard to take him back time after time again, God keeps him time after time again. We're going we're gonna to finish today with, with uh, Cooper's most popular hymn, where he wrote um, the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Most of y'all have have heard this, we've sang this a lot here at, at Com City. But these, these two verses have just meant so much to me. I just want to read them for you. It says, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw this dream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. So, so here's going to be our invitation today as we're sent. Church, let's let redeeming love be our theme. Let's let redeeming love be the theme of our entire lives. It's not just something that we do. It's not just a box that we check. It's not something that we do to be qualified or something that we do as some sort of obligation. It's definitely not something that we do for some sort of qualification into heaven. But it's our theme it is the identity of our entire lives. It is the reason that we wake up in the morning and the reason that we go to bed at night is because we have been loved so much by the one who's redeemed all things that redeeming love would be the theme of our entire life. There's a couple things that we can do in light of this. Maybe there's a William Cooper in your life. Maybe there's someone who is suffering from great affliction, someone who is just really struggling. And just because you may not be experiencing personal affliction yourself, church, doesn't mean that you don't get to weigh the burden and carry the load of someone else. We're called to this as the family of God. We're called to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Maybe you need to be a John Newton for someone soon. But don't just take him as an example, guys. Look to Christ in Hebrews 4. It's very, very clear. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Eusebius welcomed us into this well last week. If you, if you didn't see the video, Eusebius is an in-home physical therapist that literally, he, I mean, he said this, he literally sits with people who have broken hearts, who have physical disabilities, that, and they need in-home physical therapy. And, and, and he said that sometimes he just needs to sit with them and just listen. Gosh, what a glorious way that is to let redeeming love be your theme. 
Maybe we just need to sit with somebody soon. Just listen to them, put aside all distractions, and just sit and listen. As, as Job was in agony over much pain and suffering, his three friends came to him as he was suffering and just sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights and didn't say a word. Total silence. It's actually when they started talking that they messed everything up. (laughs) So if you do speak, church, our second one here, if you do speak, speak of the glories of Christ. Speak of the glories of Christ to those who are afflicted. Let them know that God is near to them. That he's near to the brokenhearted. That that in their affliction, God prepares them, he delivers them, and he keeps them. If redeeming love is going to be our theme, church, let's be people that proclaim Jesus. Be people that proclaim the one who's redeemed us. I'd like to close um, with just reading a passage from 2 Corinthians 4. It's, it's kind of a lengthy passage, but I think it just goes so well with everything that we've talked about today. So in 2 Corinthians 4, and then we'll be done. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit according Spirit of faith, according to those to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise, will also raise us with Jesus and bring with you into his, into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. His word is good and it's life-giving to us. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you so much, God, that you prepare us. God, thank you that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Just want to take a moment and thank you for that. That, God, you would actually give us the opportunity to be weak so that you can just be obedient to what your word says and make your power the most strong in the midst of our weakness. God, 
Thank you that there is no condemnation left for us, that the entire cup of God's wrath has been poured out. Oh God, thank you so much for keeping us, that you would never let something snatch us out of your hand, that you will constantly sustain us, Father. Thank you, God, that you are making all things new. Thank you that you are making all things new. And I pray, God, that in light of that truth, that you are making all things new and that you've prepared us, delivered us, and kept us, God, would we just sing this? Would this be our moment of our first proclamation of Jesus as we sing this song together? And as we take communion, God, I pray, Lord, that this body would just see this as the body and blood that was broken and shed for them in the form of bread and cup, God, that they would just have a moment of unity together as they take the bread and the cup. God, bless us. As we leave from here, God, I pray that you would send us for the sake of your gospel. God, let redeeming love be our theme. Let it be our theme, Jesus.